Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. This is a repeat episode of the podcast. We're reaching deep back into the archive. We are talking to national treasure, comedian, historian, broadcaster Al Murray. He's a great friend of this podcast. He's a great friend of mine. And he now has his own brilliant World War II podcast. We have ways of making you talk with the equally brilliant James Holland. So go and check that out. And we talked to him a couple of years ago about his love of history, his journey towards history, and his personal area of fascination, which is Arnhem. He's obsessed with Arnhem, the British-Polish allied defeat at Arnhem in the autumn of 1944. In fact, which was 76 years ago this week. So it's uh, it's a timely repeat, this one. We've produced hundreds of episodes of this podcast about the First and Second World Wars. And so what we decided to do is launch a new podcast. It's presented by historian Professor James Rogers. He's probably the world's leading expert on drones, by the way. He's been on this podcast a few times. Professor Rogers will be presenting this podcast called The World Wars. The World Wars, it's all of our episodes about the First and Second World War, talking to veterans, historians, people that lived through it, civilians, politicians. And it's also new episodes released each week that he'll be recording with some brilliant guests as well. So please go and check out The World Wars, part of the History Hit Network. Like it, rate it, all that junk, wherever you get your pods. In the meantime, everyone, here is the brilliant Al Murray. Enjoy. So um, it all goes back to you. You, you know, fame, very famous comedian, etc. History. I've, I've been to many of your gigs. History, history runs like a like the writing through a stick of rock through those gigs. <laughs> but you have written a great book about watching orphans and your dad. I mean, is that is that was that your entry into history? Yeah, absolutely. I, my family. Um, uh, is a family that talks about history at, at Sunday lunch, um, often to the, the annoyance of outsiders. Um, uh, and so I grew up in an environment that was where you would, and mainly talking about the Second World War, where that was the, a big topic of discussion that, uh, and an and argument as well, as much as anything else. So, um, uh, yeah. And then um, I, my, I, it was on my radar when I was about eight because I went to see A Bridge Too Far at the cinema and my father was an airborne soldier in the 50s and knew a load of the characters from the Battle of Arnhem, from 1st Airborne Division. In fact, a Captain Mackay, who was at the bridge, in the school, fought in the school of the bridge, was my father's brigadier at one point. And Dad remembers him being shouted at by this guy. Anyway, so we went to the cinema to see this because it was a portrayal of the whole maroon thing that my father, the maroon machine that my father was part of. Um, and he sat, sat there basically... Um, 
splattering and cursing at the movie. And there was a great moment that I, I remember very clearly when the tank comes over the bridge and it's supposed to be a tiger and it's a leopard from the 90s, yes. leopard one God. from the 1960s. And he, and he went, it's the wrong bloody tank. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's where it all comes from, from that moment in the cinema, growing up, going to Pegasus Bridge when I was, when I was nine or ten. You know, uh, Waterloo, I think, when I was 12. This whole thing, you know, st- it, it was unavoidable in my family history. And your grandfather had an interesting job in the war as well. Well, as far as we know, yeah. this is the thing. Um, my grandfather worked for um, PWE, the Political Warfare Establishment. I, th- I think he was part of the sort of the thing that was going on, on around Woburn Sands and Woburn rather than Bletchley. So they, they, were, they were the where the governments in exile were and all that sort of thing. And he was involved in black radio. He was in Vienna for some reason in May 1945. We don't really know why. Um, he crops up all over. And there's a picture of him in a major's uniform in Cairo in 1942 or something. And he wasn't in the army. So uh, who knows? And there's even this, there's even a story that, uh, there's a story about someone involved with, the Yugos- with some Yugoslav partisans who'd, who'd who'd kind of crossed the line. Oh, there's a historian in, in Aberystwyth I talked to about this, about what my grandfather got up to. Some historian, this guy who crossed the line in, de- in his dealings with the Yugoslav partisans and then died mysteriously, possibly a heart attack. And my grandfather was around at the time. And who knows? And if you speak to my uncle, my uncle will say, oh, oh there's definitely something fishy there. And you speak to my father, and my father's like, absolutely not. He was definitely not involved in that. And it's all quite... It's all quite murky and quite interesting, as well as having been a BBC man in the 30s before the war. So uh, literally working alongside um, Dimbleby Senior and doing all that sort of stuff. I mean, my career would take such time for the better if I left the BBC and just started <laughs> whacking Yugoslav <laughs> partisans. Oh, I'd be joyful. It's all, it, it, but what's interesting about it is when, when he died, my father, uh, my, he'd asked my father to burn his papers, personal papers, when he died, and my dad did. Because oh. my dad's well, from that... Would you have just gone, sure, Dad? Yeah, he was from that Mulder person that um, if his father asked him to do something like that, even with, you know, it'd be an absolute treasure trove of oh. stuff. Absolutely, it's what you want me to do, and he did it. Well, yeah, yeah, and he's since been researching him, and it's hard to find anything out because it's all—it was all secret. Well, and... I, I burned it all, son. Yeah, yeah, exactly, well, okay, exactly, Dad. exactly. Like <laughs> Kafka-esque. Yeah, the rest yeah. Of life. Uh, so, and, and you're—you are in your own right an expert, I would say, on Arnhem. I mean, you—you've you, you oh. crossed swords with with the best of them. We've had Anthony <laughs> Beaver on the podcast saying it was all—it was all disastrous from the start. It never <laughs> have worked. Um, the whole thing was a joke. Where do, you, where do you just quickly where do you stand on that controversy? If they'd gone a week earlier, I think we'd be looking at a very different story with that op- with that operational plan, right? If they'd gone a hot, just a week earlier, because well, the Germans less... the Germans were still on the hop a week earlier, and there's a week's coagulation in in certainly in the German command structures. Um, this, this, there, there is there is there's a very interesting book of um, uh, essays that John Buckley um, has edited about Arnhem it was in the last couple of years and one of the essays is called a week too soon question mark and then there's this I mean the other thing is there's the controversy over the airlift plan and was that what the army wanted or what the air force yeah 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 yeah. and the thing is is there's an RAF historian who's since gone through all that a guy called Seb Ritchie who's since gone through the actual genesis of the airlift plan and it and what's very interesting about it is the army ask for that airlift plan they say they want that what went wrong in normandy is we uh, what went wrong in sicily is the drops were scattered what went wrong in normandy is the drops were scattered could we just all land in the same place together just this once please and the air force 
give them exactly what they want. And then, of course, after the event, the army blame it all on the Air Force. They wouldn't let us land where we wanted to. But that's not, not really what happened. And Ritchie also looks into, the, into the, one of the intelligence myths, which is the overflights. And he's, because he's an RAF historian, and he's obviously thought, enough's enough. So he's gone through all the RAF reconnaissance logs for overflights, you know, where they take picture of, uh, of Panzer SS units around on them. He cannot find a single flight that matches that description. He cannot find the photographs that matches. He's not to say it didn't happen, but there's no record of those flights that, that, that Urquhart, the intelligence officer, claims to have ordered happening. So that's quite interesting. And, 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 and again, that's the RAF going, because he's an RAF historian, and you, you know, they've, they've, they've copped all the, yeah. the literal and uh, metaphorical flack uh, uh, around the Arnhem Op. So he's just going, hang on a minute, let's just actually look at these things. And that's, that's really interesting. I think Beaver's probably right, it, 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 but, uh, but I think it's, the, it's the, not the conception that's the problem with Arnhem, it's the, it's the, um, the realisation, the actualisation. You know, if, 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 they, if they decided that a staggered lift was a bad idea and that what you do is the assets you land on D-Day at Arnhem, that the, the air landing brigade and the... And the parachute brigade if you if you decide they're both going for the bridge rather than half of them having to stay behind and defend landing zones because of your second stage lift you've got a more chance you've got more chance of getting more people to the bridge which is what it's all about so i i think that there's still there's still miles to go with uh with what you can say about arnhem i think it's not it's not settled (laughs) that's clear (laughs) i I also whenever i read military history i think the best and most the most trivial but also the best expression is uh, victory has a thousand fathers oh, yeah. defeat is an orphan yeah. and, and Arnhem now everybody can tell you what an absolute, absolute oh, yeah. but I mean Manstein or you know Rundstedt's thrust through the Ardennes uh, that reached the coast you know Guderian charge crossing the, it, it, was, it was an extraordinarily risky yep. and, and talk about one single you know MSR yep. and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yet it's hailed as the greatest victory it's the most oh. brilliant piece oh, yeah. of military operation but, but to which I would say the, the, the thing that precedes Arnhem is the greatest ever armoured armored breakout which yeah. is the breakout after Falaise and the decision if you it, I think the problem with Arnhem is exactly as you say we look at it now. Oh, it's obviously never going to work. If you're making that decision in late August, when the let, Germans seem to when have the Germans are, when they are done for, yeah. as far as you can tell, you've destroyed them in the west, and you're doing. I can't remember which which div, division it does. Ninety yeah, miles. Records, yeah, 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 yeah. Does yeah. ninety miles in a day. So no wonder you're thinking. Well, just this. This is just going to keep going. And right. And the, the, from 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 September 1939 on the Allied side, there's been this idea that the Germans are going to collapse like a pack of cards any minute. Right from the beginning of the Second World War. And and that that idea is still doing around six years, like four years, five years later, isn't? It shouldn't be a surprise, I think. Well, and also, you know that the Russians are, the Soviets are are conquering and c- committing unimaginable brutality in, in yeah. Eastern Europe. So, yeah. so if you can get to Berlin first, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. it's forget. I find it. I find that's what's so fascinating. About well, it. I find it. I, it. I mean, in the end, I find it a, for, a forgivable mistake on Montgomery's part. Although, actually, I mean, and, and of course, you know. Failure, failure in this in, in this instance isn't an orphan. The, the, it, the, the buck is laid at Mon- the stops at Montgomery all the time. Although, family. although let's be honest, Ike Ike approved it. So you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna look for where where the buck stops, it's got to be it's got to be with Eisenhower. He says, okay, go for it, and 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 you know, but this 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 will never end. This will go on forever. And um, 
at Chalk Valley at, at, at the History Festival, we had a morning of Airborne Forces stuff, and the Airborne Archivist from the museum in Duxford comes over from the Air Assault Museum and says, oh, you must come and have a look at this stuff because the thing no one likes to talk about is how bad officer relations were within First Airborne, how no one was talking to anybody, how they all, there was a Scottish clique and there was a, a, a parachute clique and a glider clique, and they were all at each other's throats. In the run up to in the run up to Market Garden, and then of course because it's all a terrible disaster, you're not going to write about that. That's not going to get into the history books because it, because it would look because um, they fought incredibly gallantly as we as we accept, but it would look like it would look like you were really like um, you were rubbing their noses in it or adding salt to the wood. So there's still loads more about Arnhem to come out. <laughs> and what I like about you, Anne, is you're, you're, I think working at the BBC is slightly, because there's a sense there that you can't just keep producing stuff about the Second World War. And so I quite admire guys like you and James Holland who just go, you know what? The Second World War is the largest conflict in the history of the human race. Yeah. It remodelled the city that I grew up in. My oh. own family were involved in it. My, oh, yeah. my, in my case, my dad was nearly killed by a V1 in, in yeah. about 43, 44. So it's not surprising that we're quite interested. Well, right? yes. and, and you, you are just like an unashamed... But, but Yes, but by the same token... Where the Second World War sits in our culture at the moment is something well, that, that, that drives yeah. me mad. Yeah. And um, it's all very well being interested in it as a historical event, but using it rhetorically and using it um, politically um, at the moment is wildly out of control and, and something that, um, that, that, that really makes, makes, on the other hand, as well as I am being very interested, it makes me think, I've got to stop being interested in this. We've got to move on from this somehow or historicise it. And, uh, 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 you know, which well, is, But you do that through your... Comedy. We try to. We like try that. to. Yeah, yeah. try to. And that's something that confuses people. Yeah. Funnily enough, I had a conversation this morning when I said <laughs> I'm, 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 I was with the Western Front Association, and all these people, massive yeah, fans yeah. of Al Murray, uh, but they went because they, they don't understand some bits of your comedy because yeah. they don't kind of get who you are and which yeah. bit is you and which bit isn't and which is yeah. a pub landlord, yeah. which is one of the most recognisable comedy characters in the last you know, thirty years in the yeah. UK. So how do you? Well, I like that. I like the confusion. <laughs> I'm. 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 I, you know. Um, I, I think a big element in comedy should be mischief, confusion, ambivalence, uh, chaos. We're supposed to be... Comedians aren't supposed to be um, uh, po-faced people with the answers to everything. They're supposed to cause... So, we're supposed to sow discord and cause mischief. <laughs> and, uh, and people are meant to misunderstand you and they're meant to not get the joke. You know, you can't get all the jokes. So I'm, I'm quite comfortable with... Um, with the idea that some people don't get it, that some people think what I'm doing is absolutely ghastly. It's all right, it's fine, you know. Comedians, if you look at the history of jesters, comedians used to have to eat on their own. They weren't allowed to sit even with the musicians. They had to eat on their own because they had no patron. They only had the king as a patron so so that they would speak truth to power rather than be the Duke of Norfolk's jester and have other patronage so that, you know, that they could get to the king via the jester. And, and in that respect, comics should, comics should eat alone. They shouldn't, they shouldn't, be, they, they shouldn't sit with the, with the minstrels and the, and the jugglers and the, and the jonglers and all those people. They should be on their own, wearing their motley outfit, wearing their tweed and sitting by themselves. <laughs> just, just tilting at everyone. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, there's a really excellent book about Jesters in the English Court, and I can't remember who wrote it, but it'll come to me. Um, really, really fantastic book about that, which, which says, you know, the, the entire, this, this entire tradition that, that dies out during the Elizabethan era, when everything gets sort of theatricalised, turned into drama. Um, th- there was this tradition of the, you know, the, the fool who had no patron but, but his master, so that he could 
have the license to say what he wanted to his master. He wasn't answerable to anyone else. And it's and and in a way, if you're if you're not causing confusion and pissing people off, you're not doing your job right. If you're not taking flat, you're not over the target. Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. <laughs> what do you say there? Because you, the pub landlord, is... is <laughs> He like well, what's what's he? The pub, the pub land. I mean, it's this is. A diff, I mean, I've seen him. I've seen him a lot yeah, of times. Seen a lot of times. And right? I see the gleam in the pub landlord's eye when I when I come in late, and I know I'm about to get some history related banter. Uh, and uh, you've had me on stage. I don't have 100 control over him. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially as the evening goes on. Uh, and so, but because he because he is he, he he rips apart the metropolitan elite, but he also is as furious in his. Is scathing in his criticism of of you know the the so called the, the the people that've been left behind you know the people that were, we're told gave us Trump and Brexit. Yeah, well, I suppose. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 trying to. The the, the thing is, is I, I when I'm writing it and the, and the way I conceived it, it, it it's first of all supposed to be a piece of entertainment. So you try and make as many different people laugh on as many different levels as you possibly can. But it's also. To one in one respect, supposed to be like a piece of satire, which is which is which is what led to me running for parliament three years ago. And you can't satirise the po- politics we have in a in a pluralistic um, one man one vote democracy without satirising the p- people who are doing the voting. It, it, it they're we're all part of the same fruitcake, um, um, and there's lumps of this in the lumps of one thing in a fruitcake in one place, lumps of uh, but it's a whole. You can't have a, you can't 
just do the politicians you've got to do the people that vote for them and that and that's sort of my approach to it and everyone i think to an extent everyone in a pluralistic de- democracy where we kind of have lots of liber- liberties and freedoms that don't exist ever ever else kind of everyone's fair game and the and the, the the metric of whether you're punching up or punching down which is the thing people like to talk about with comedy is is harder to um work simplistically in a, in a society like ours i think you know because because if boorish idiotic people are dominating a debate just because you're better educated than them doesn't mean you shouldn't take the piss out of them because if they're dominating the debate they have power they have they have the power and you're as a comic you're supposed to take talk truth to power and if more educated people than you are being a, a, a dominating you should take the piss out of them too or if you know slack slack brained um, uh, uh, conservatives or pie in the sky socialists are the people in power then you have a duty you know as a comic as the jester as the mischief maker as the disruptor you know the problem is you start talking about this it all sounds quite pretentious quite quickly that, that those those should be your targets and that's sort of what I try to do with the pub landlord um, I mean often I, I often miss and I often get misunderstood but I kind of so what you've, you've still got to you've still got to shoot at the damn thing uh, and you, a history does run through your comedy. I mean, oh, yeah. Why do you, do you find that people, they respond to history? Do you, do you understand what the sort of shared historical stories are? Like you'd, make, you'd make jokes about the Second World War, but you probably wouldn't make a joke about oh, the Magna Carta. But, corn Laws is off the, corn, off the yeah, limit. No right, one knows corn, about the Corn Laws. Right, okay. but, but there is, there is, you know, like there is a sort of orange squash totemistic set of historical things Henry VIII you, you, right. if you go to Henry VIII everyone knows what you're talking about uh, I mean it might it, it might all be wrong but everyone knows what you're talking about head chopping wives head chopping wives telling the Pope to get knotted right it, <laughs> you know uh, uh, the original Brexit whatever you, you, you know whatever, whatever you want to call it so so things like that the Civil War you, you know Oliver Cromwell banning Christmas everyone knows about that okay. right so there's, there's a series of things and, and, and because they're those Everyone knows about that thing. So you, you, we enter the territory of the uses and abuses of history, and which I think is as interesting as history itself. What history gets used for, how it gets abused, how it gets turned around and pointed at us in a different direction. How you know how appeasement is wheeled out as a as a thing we must never do. And the thing is, is yes, if you agree with that picture of what was happening between thirty six and thirty nine. That is what you should never do. But there's much more to the story of what's called appeasement. Appeasement itself, as, an, as a, a diagnosis of those, those three years, was a political diagnosis from people who wanted to uh, smear, you know, besmirch the Chamberlain government, who you could argue ran this fantastic rearguard action to get to the point where we were able to deal with, with, with Nazi Germany. You could argue that. I mean, it's all, you, can, you can toss it in either direction. So... So I'm interested in that you know, uses and abuses of history, uh, I, I, it kind of in a way that comics always have them because you're always looking for cultural cultural touch points where you know you can definitely get people to all they all know about something. Dennis Norden talked, you know, died quite recently. Talk, talked about in a really great interview. He said he started writing comedy after the Second World War when you lived in essentially a monoculture because every, everyone had been through the same thing. So finding things for everyone to laugh at was pretty easy right and and that version of history is a thing i think everyone has in common so you can you can push those buttons as sort of you know and it's a it, it's our cultural bathwater there you go. that history there you go. I haven't don't, that don't drink the bathwater <laughs> where you end up like boris johnson imagining you're winston churchill because <laughs> he's definitely drunk the bathwater and may have peed in the bath before he did it yeah. <laughs>
Oh my lord! <laughs> his fourteenth-century now re- long repealed law. Yes, long repealed, but it doesn't matter because no one knows. You know, that's yeah. what he's. Do- I mean, in a way, he was doing what the pub landlord would do there. You know, I, I used to have this routine where I would. Um, uh, prove historically that that the the, the, the Great Britain and never never call, he never calls it the UK the pub landlord because no one does right the Great Britain has um, even though he obviously includes Northern Ireland in it that the Great Britain has defeated every single country in the world at war and I would do he does that as a like and you so you'd say well what about the War of eighteen twelve against the United States and so I'd do a whole load of waffle about the White House being you know attacked burned down by the Royal Marines and blah 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 blah. Um, and anyway, they're our ally, and that counts as losing to us. You know, so, so, and, and that's what Boris is doing. He's using one, he's pulling out a thing, going, dazzle, dazzle, look at this, and then constructing an argument, even though it's rubbish. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's no coincidence that politicians do this, because they're looking for things to... They're looking for things, either things we will understand or all things we go, oh, that's interesting. And that prime unit, prime uniary, wasn't it? Was he brought, yes, yeah. that's right. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, that's interesting. No one's heard of it. Yeah. Of course they haven't. But they also expect it from that brand of conservative. Yeah. Anyway. He, he knows his medieval history. And it turned yeah. out he didn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, who does? Who knows what happened in the Middle Ages? Nobody, not really. <laughs> did you, you ran for, um, you ran for office. Yes, you ran I did. For high office. Yeah, well, no, Remind me, I think well, you ran for office. Uh, yeah, you ran for office against uh, Nigel Farage, the and the, of the and UK. all the other parties. Otherwise, on Twitter, on Twitter, it'll be like you're 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 Nigel. Yeah. Uh, and how did it go? Remind me, how many votes did you get? Three hundred eighteen, which is a cabalic number that's in the Bible. I think at one point, Uh-oh. Abraham actually selects three hundred eighteen warriors or something it's like all that. It's getting a bit Q and on, so, right? Yeah. All you're going to be somewhere on a big whiteboard with some string. Yeah, and some, absolutely. So 318. Uh, listen, man, that's 318 more people than ever voted for me. So, well, but, but you, would, you would run as a wig, wouldn't you? You'd run yeah, as some an sort old-fashioned of wig. Proper old-fashioned yeah, yeah. wig. I'm, I'm, Home rule for Ireland. But, and, but as you... I mean, obviously, because as you get older, you, you, do, you like getting, do you like getting in the cut and thrust of political discourse? I mean, is that kind um, of, well, it's something, I got, it's something I've been drawn into more and more, I think. Um... It used to be something that didn't bother me, but uh, but but the, to be honest, a lot of the stuff that Pub Landlord was banging on about when I first started doing the act in the mid '90s, which was a, a, quite a big chunk of the act, was his sort of hallucinatory year of scepticism, basically. Mm-hmm. And that I used to do that because that was sort of I thought am- an amusing fringe activity <laughs> that, that you know that kind of now it's mainstream. Now it's now it's, so you you were like <laughs> making jokes about the WTO. You? you know, I used to go on about uh, go on about Maastricht and I, and wanting to be a metric market martyr, wanting to be a arrested for using imperial you know because that was the sort of that was the flesh and blood of it in the in the 90s it was all about metric it was all about weights and measures and the sort of foreign dictatorship blah 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 and and anyway so but i I had that in the act and it was it was a fringe activity and now the 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 thing that the act used to be really concerned about is mainstream is absolutely smacking the middle so i've sort of been dragged into the in, into relevance by by events, I was quite happy being irrelevant. And but, you probably took the piss out of socialists as well. Like, well yeah, we, oh yeah, well, absolutely. Although, although in lots of ways, the pub landlord is quite he's quite an old Labour nineteen seventy socialist, yes. or, or you know, he believes in an honest in, in the working man and all that sort of stuff in a in a ludicrous abstract way, of course. But 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 so he's because he's a mesh of all sorts of things because because after all, a great deal of old Labourism. Was quite tied up in uh, national in national ideas, you know, which is what David Edgerton's writing about at the moment. Really interestingly, Absolutely. that you know that, that you've got a, a national 
thing at the core of, of the of the Labour movement, r- r- right, certainly from the end of the Second World War. But but that's a, that's a digression. Um, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I found a bit uh, politics has dragged my act back into being relevant, having been, you know, quite... I was quite happy to wittering on about this stuff to myself and my audience and, and, not, and not really being anything to do with the main discourse. But now, smack back in the middle, thanks to the likes of Nigel Farage. Who, who stole my act. Stole your seat. <laughs> he stole your seat. Yeah. Uh, right, just last thing, we can't go because we're sitting in your lovely study and yes. uh, there is a, an enormous, enormous drum kit here. Just talk me through this passion because this well, is something... I've played the drums since I was a kid. And um, uh, on and off, and played in bands when I was at uni, and then after uni tried to tried to be a musician for a bit, and, and then realised I wasn't good enough. Which is, or I think it's always important to li- in life if you're not good, very good at something, realise, realise that as soon as possible, and then you can carry on enjoying it by not pursuing it to, to, to the point where you you know you you ruin it and you in the process. So I know lots of musicians who some days would rather not go near a musical instrument but have to. So. Anyway, so the long and the short of it is I met a drum maker five years ago. Um, I was having one last drum set made. I would never do it again. Two years later, his uh, employment changed. It's the, I mean, it's the you know, most polite way of putting it all. And I said to him the thing you should never say to anyone. Well, if that happens, if they really do let you go, you must. we should go into business together. And um, three weeks later, he rang me up. Were you serious about that? So we now have a factory in Stockport. We're called the British Drum Company. The drums are handmade in England. Um, uh, we make our own ply. We have our own cold press lamination method that's um, proprietary and not like what anyone else does. We're, we had three people on the floor um, three years ago, and we're 14 now, and it's, it's growing. And, and you're exporting we're to China. China. We're exporting to China. I yes, mean, I know. You know... You know um, Something like 40 million people play the piano in China. The, 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 the size of the music market in China and also their um, taste for high-end European products. Um, well, I mean, let's hope we don't touch wood, we don't mess it up, but it's, but it's quite a big... There's, there's quite an opportunity there. And, and, but the thing that's really great is we're plugging into manufacturing tradition here where we're, people have been having this stuff designed here and made in the Far East, and we're making the darn things by hand in England. The, 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 the ply in the shell is so precise, it's cut by hand with a Stanley knife, and then it clicks into place in the shell. And there's this amazing, satisfying moment where the, where the, where the, the, the ply clicks in, and then, you, and then you put the next one in and, and build up the ply like that. And it's, there's just something about the satisfaction. Of, you know, it's, it's carpentry, so it, it goes back to the dawn of, all the way to the dawn of time. So now, when I, because I live near Southampton Dockyards, and I always, I always think, oh, it's sad, there's nothing leaving on those ships. And now I know in all those vast empty <laughs> containers, one of those containers is going to be actually chock full of Al Murray's drum kit. That, that, that's very, very likely. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah, we have this thing where the, where the, where the container comes, the container for, for you know, for, uh, for America comes, and we, we have the, the, whole, the whole floor fills the damn thing, and then off it goes. It's very exciting. Oh, that's incredibly cool. exciting. Um, Man, makes me think I chose the wrong career path. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'll We're looking so- for investors. <laughs> <laughs> thank, you. Oh. thank you so much for coming, bud. It's a pleasure. Um, really, uh, on the podcast, it's been well overdue, and it's great. To, it's just great to share your passion of history with everyone out there. Well, I, yeah, thank you. I mean, it's good to have. It's good to have someone. I mean, the thing about this is, we could talk for 
there's a time limit on we these have. podcast things yeah. because people have lives. <laughs> we have we have been lost on a few wormholes. Oh god, it's been brilliant. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. Hi everyone, it's me, Dan Snow. Just a quick request. It's so annoying and I hate it when other podcasts do this, but now I'm doing it and I hate myself. Please, please go onto iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps, basically boosts up the chart, which is good. And then more people listen, which is nice. So if you could do that, I'd be very grateful. I understand if you don't want to subscribe to my TV channel. I understand if you don't want to buy my calendar, but this is free. Come on, do me a favor. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.